Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse podcast. I tried to do that sort of in radio announcer voice. I don't think it worked very well. Should I try that again? <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the ICS Pulse podcast. That was the NPR <laughs> version. Uh, I am one of your humble hosts, Gary Cohen. Other hosts with me, as always. The not-so-humble Tyler Wall. He really is an egomaniac. It's becoming mm. a problem. Soon, this will be his podcast, and I will be trampled under his feet. Uh, we have another good one for you today. We have, uh, as our guest a little bit later, we have Debbie Gordon, who is the founder and CEO of CloudRange, a cybersecurity simulation training solution that helps organizations reduce cyber risk. So it's a really uh, an, an interesting take we're going to have today because this isn't somebody who has a, a, a cyber tool that she's trying to sell or a company that's, you know, has a cyber tool that they're trying to sell. Um when you talk about uh, uh, TTP, she's talking about people. So she's talking about reducing cyber risk through training your people and your organization better. Uh, very interesting person. Met her out at S4 for the first time. And about two minutes into our conversation, I went, please come on our podcast. And luckily, she she was willing to do it. Yeah, and she's a very, very delightful uh, person, too. Great to talk to, and I hope we have her on in the future. But, of course, uh, before we get into this podcast, uh, my question of the day for you, or I guess of the bye week for you, um, what is your go-to soda pop or drink, I guess, in general? It doesn't have to be pop, but... See, but you know the answer to this one. Usually you ask these questions, you don't know the answer. You know my, you know the answer. I drink I two things I in this world i drink water and i drink coca-cola that's yeah. pretty much it by the way i don't want people to think the percentages are way off and it's 50 50 i drink a lot of water and then i have like one because i have it on my desk right now 7.5 fluid ounce can of coca-cola every day it's, oh that's uh, a little mini can yeah it's a little mini can I'll, I'll show you on the zoom no one else can see it tiny little can makes me feel like i have huge hams um <laughs> But yeah, it's, I grew up drinking soda, like every kind. And I, it's, I try to get rid of my vices. I don't smoke. I don't drink much. Don't do drugs. Don't do it. So like I can allow myself a little bit of Coca-Cola every once in a while, but I don't have many others. My, uh, my son who is 10 is now getting to the point where he's like, can I have a, whatever it is, a Sprite, a Dr. Pepper. Uh, and like, no. Be better than I am. <laughs> I grew up drinking this junk when I didn't know it was bad for me. But yeah, he'll he'll be hooked too. How about you? What's yours? Although so, I'm frightened by what you're drinking today because I can I see know, it. yeah. So today I'm drinking a, a Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, uh, which doesn't taste like strawberries or really cream. It tastes more like I would say if you were to eat the whipped cream and cherry off of a banana float. But um no, so it's well, first, a short little anecdote. Uh, my dad actually is similar in the two drinks rule his life, and it's Mountain Dew and water. Oh, God, um, Mountain Dew. Mountain Whoa. Dew and water. Yeah. And he's still alive. Good for he him. Is still, he is still alive. And I would say it is closer to a 50-50 split, actually. The man drinks more Mountain Dew than I know what to do with. Um, but I would say my go-to, I usually like a good like ginger ale, like a Verner's or something. Oh, yeah. Because it kind of has like a little spice to it a little. You know, if you accidentally breathe in when you drink it, it like make you sneeze and all of that. It's, it's a it's a wild drink, a zesty one. So I will tell you, I do like ginger ale and I also like ginger ale with a little bit of bourbon in it. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like me a good Moscow mule, which is a little different, I guess. Yeah. If that's a whole different podcast question. What's your favorite yeah. mixed drink? But uh, I will say if you're a, if you're a comedy fan, I don't know if, I don't know if you Tyler know James A. Castor. I think I may have shown you, but every time I think of Dr. Pepper, He's got a bit in one of his stand-up routines, really funny British comic about Dr. Pepper, basically saying he loves it, but he doesn't claim to understand it. No idea what it tastes like. And I think somewhere on the can, it says it's like fruit flavors. And he's like, I know what fruit tastes like. I wasn't born yesterday. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it is a, I mean, not that I know what Coke tastes like either, or Mountain Dew. No soda has a discernible flavor. They're just weird, sweet, sharp things. They are. So from what I'm hearing, if Coca-Cola wants to give us a sponsorship or uh, Verner's wants to give us a sponsorship, we will happily oblige. I have a feeling the Mountain Dew people won't be calling, but we'll, we'll see where that goes. Next oh, no. next day, it's going to be we're going to show up in Mountain Dew shirts and hats. <laughs> and Right. Yeah. We love Mountain Dew. I was joking the other day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about cybersecurity before we bring our guest in. Um, one of the things I think is really interesting about about Debbie and the and the company, which we try to be always product agnostic on these. I mean, we're bringing in people from specific companies so they can talk about their companies, but you know, we're not out here to pitch anything. But um, I, I found her when I talked to her at S four what her organization was doing really interesting because. You know, you go to these cybersecurity conferences and we talk to people all the time and, you know, most companies have a product to sell, a tool that you can use, whether it's a firewall or a unidirectional gateway or whatever that thing is to help harden your cybersecurity, which all of those things are incredibly valuable. Uh, uh, the You know, I, I from what we hear, definitely partner with third party companies, partner with outside teams, bring in people who have good tools. Uh, bring those into your organization. But when you look at the major cyber attacks that have happened recently, and probably the minor ones too, generally the entry point is human error. It is generally uh, somebody fell prey to a phishing email, or somebody clicked a link, like a phishing they shouldn't have clicked, or they shared their password, or their password is still one, two, three, four, or they don't have multi-factor authentication, or like an Oldsmar team viewer was left open and somebody could get in. Human error, I mean, th there are nation state actors out there who if they're going after Tyler Wall Industries, and I highly recommend it, a uh, very valuable corporation, they're going after Tyler Wall Industries for a reason. They wanna, They want his trade secrets, they wanna, mess with critical infrastructure, they want a, the espionage, whatever that reason is. And so they're going to sit in your system and they're going to try hard to get into that. A lot of cyber criminals are looking for a quick payout. And so they're going to use the best tool at, the, at their disposal. And that's often people. Yeah. I mean, so as, as uh, our guest, Debbie, will get into, um, but uh, I mean, it's really it really does start with the people and just ensuring you're using these uh, basic cyber cleanse, cleanliness, not cleanse, uh, cleanliness principles. Uh, like, yeah, just making sure you're know what a phishing email looks like and all of these different best practices um, is just, it's really this, the best starting point for um, exercising good cybersecurity precautions and things related to that because 
I mean, that's where that's where a lot of this kind of starts. A lot of these different attacks kind of start. So just uh, instilling those best practices are, especially with these mom and pop shops and people who think that they aren't necessarily susceptible or don't have the budget to. It's just it's the place to start. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I, I think the, the lesson and we'll get to it in the conversation with Debbie is, you know, don't forget about your people. Don't forget that, you know, they're, and she says this during the, the podcast. So I don't want to, I, I don't want to ruin the surprise. Um, but you know, like a lot of companies are looking for, and these are her words, the, the unicorn who can come in and knows everything already you know, a lot of times you can really train up your people to to learn to to be good cyber defenders for your organization. Train them on your systems, and and you know that was a a conversation we had. I, I believe it was Sam May from Steelroot who said it, but one of the people we talked to who was former military, and he was talking about Marforce Cyber, the Marines, and said, "What you know? Why are they producing better?" cybersecurity personnel than a lot of these like graduate training programs, graduate universities, you know, they're taking 18 year olds a lot of times off the street and they're just, they're training them. So uh, this is all a very long way of somebody who probably knows less than you listener saying, don't forget to train your people. <laughs> yes. And at the end of the day, you can have the best cybersecurity practices in the world. You can have the most updated firmwares, and firewalls and endpoint detection and everything like that. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the people that know how to use it, how to operate them, how to manage them, it's, I mean, it's almost meaningless. Uh, so just ensuring that your, um, your IT, OT professionals are capable and know what they're doing and versatile within those areas, um, it just... It it's extra gravy for the potatoes. It's uh, uh oh, what's I don't I don't remember what the traditional uh, version is. The icing on top, icing on the cake. I like gravy on the potatoes more though. So, I will mention that we're recording this right around lunchtime. So I don't know, Tyler, if you've eaten anything yet today, but that may have been where the gravy and the potatoes thing came from. I have not eaten yet today, so <laughs> that is where it came from. Yeah, and then uh, to Tyler's point. Also, we talk about building a culture of cybersecurity on here a lot. Like, make sure your people are talking to each other. Make sure the IT team knows what the OT team is doing. Make sure management knows what the needs of the cybersecurity needs are. Make sure the, the CEO and the CISO and the board are, are all on board with, uh, ooh, wait, a turn of phrase, uh, are on board with what's going on in your cybersecurity efforts. Like, that's all part of it. And part of that training is making sure that... Uh, that everybody understands what the needs are, everybody understands what's going on, and that way you can defend your organization, whether you're a Fortune 500, a Fortune 100, or a mom and pop shop that's that's building a small component that goes into something that a Fortune 500 company is using. So and that's all just a long way of saying our guest today is Debbie Gordon. Debbie is the founder and CEO of CloudRange, cybersecurity tr simulation training solution, uh, she has been doing this kind of work for, uh, uh, nearly 30 years in the technical education and certification industry. She's built and sold several companies in e-commerce, IT asset management and training. Uh, she's currently on the board of directors of the entrepreneurs organization in Nashville, frequent speaker on cybersecurity readiness, simulation and training, uh, and just, just an all around good guest. Let's go ahead and bring her in now. Here she is, Debbie Gordon. Debbie, thank you so much for being with us today. 
Thanks for having me. Uh, full disclosure, Debbie and I met at S4 down in Miami a couple of weeks ago. We sat down for about a half an hour and talked. And I, we were about 10 minutes into the conversation and I went, please, please, please come on the podcast. So I'm glad you agreed. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So let's, let's start off uh, at, a, at a good starting point here. Let's just learn a little bit about you. So you're the founder and CEO of Cloud Range. So if you can tell me a little bit about what your background is and then uh, why you saw a need for Cloud Range for this company. So my background, uh, really my career started in the technical education space back in the mid-90s where uh, during, you know, during that time when people were getting CNEs and MCSEs, that was something that enabled people to get a job and most of the time perform a job really well. And what's very different in cyber is that if somebody has a certification, it really is just table stakes to be able to qualify to apply for a job. And it doesn't mean they can perform a job or even perform a job well on an ongoing basis. And so, um, you know, everything uh, that went on in my career 30 years ago um, to now, things have changed in in technology uh, and the need for training. So with cyber, um, I was very, very aware of the talent shortage and how that impacts organizations. It's not just a matter of having empty seats, but it's about the people who are already employed in cyber and how competent they are and how much experience they actually have. So I set out to solve for that, um, to make sure that organizations had the ability to continuously train people to be cyber defenders so that they're uh, proactively preparing for the next attack. And so that is how CloudRange came to be. Yeah, I think that's really an interesting thing. And this is something that came out when we talked at S4 is, you know, it's essential for companies to harden their systems. So it's great, get a new firewall, a, you know, directional gateway. That's, I think, what people think of. But if you look at most of the attacks that are hitting companies, how are they getting in the door? They're getting in the door because of shared passwords. They're getting in the door because of somebody fell prey to a spear phishing. Somebody left a team viewer open. These sorts of human errors are where a lot of this is coming. So what happens when you fail to train your people, even if you have hardened your systems? There are human vulnerabilities that come in a few forms. Um, number one is the vulnerability associated with somebody clicking on a phishing email. Um, or you know, doing doing something, responding to a phishing email. Uh, the second one is uh, insider threats, and those can those can show up in many different ways. But the third, which is where we're really focused, is how do we make sure that the people who are in the security operations center and the incident responders, how do we make sure that those people are prepared to detect and respond? to the first two, whether it's somebody clicking on a, you know, a bad email or an insider threat activity. Um, how do we make sure that they, who are the, you know, I call them the goalies, they're the people who are the last line of defense. How do we ensure that they have the, not just the skills, but the competencies to detect, investigate, respond, uh, and remediate those attacks? Because every single attack that we hear about in the news Every one of those companies had tens of millions of dollars of cyber technology, but what they all have in common is that 
people did not know what they were looking for or looking at. And it's not their fault. People are only as good as their experience. And so we have to give people experience in a way that's safe. And that's how, that's why we use simulation to do that. Yeah, it's very interesting. You're talking about kind of this, not necessarily a skill shortage, but a skill shortage to some degree. Um, in previous podcasts before, we've talked about uh, labor shortage versus skill shortage and how mm -hmm. um, that's in like the difference there, um, just because there's plenty of people out there willing to work, but the skills to do so is not necessarily there. Uh, would you say that's prevalent, prevalent in the cyber industry? And I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. We refer to it as an experience shortage, actually, because people can have skills. So individual skills are, are very prevalent. Um, but when defending against cyber attack, people need to know what they're looking for. They can hear and read, a, you know, a CISA advisory and understand and read about TTPs or some threat actor, what they've done. But until they've experienced it, they really don't know what that looks and feels like. And so um, it's really an experience. There is, yes, there's absolutely a talent shortage by the number of open seats globally. But uh, where, where we look and where we focus is giving people the experience that they need to perform their jobs better, not just today, but on an ongoing basis. And so, um, yes, there is a talent shortage. So there's empty seats. Yes, there is a need to create more talent uh, in, you know, education programs, whether it's higher education or workforce development or even within companies uh, to, to really build their own talent. But it's equally important to ensure that the people who are employed in cyber have ongoing experiential training because cyber changes every day. Oh, yeah, especially as we were pressing onward with our digital transformation journey here. And of course, with that, cybersecurity need to keep growing with it for sure. And so I guess, what are some of the risks for unprepared companies that aren't ready for this, uh, this change? So the risks for companies who aren't ready for digital transformation? Uh, not necessarily even that. The risks for unprepared companies, I guess, for uh, cyber attacks, I should say. Sorry, oh. I'm not clarify that. Yes. The obvious. As you guys know, uh, I mean, you know, a, a lot of our work is on the data security side, but you know, with, with um, operational technology and critical infrastructure and ICS, I mean, that's a whole different game. Um, and it's not a game. It's not funny because it's one thing for data uh, to get exfiltrated, but it's another thing where cri when critical infrastructure can get shut down, um, it's about safety. Um, and it's at the end of the day, it's about human lives also. And so um, people don't necessarily think about that the way that they should, because uh, in, in some critical infrastructure sectors, it's one thing if, um, you know, production goes down and there's, X number of million dollars an hour that's not being realized because production is down. But it's another thing if uh, the bad guys can get into a nuclear power plant. Um, that it's, it's just a whole different ballgame. And the challenge uh, that is much greater in the, in the critical infrastructure world is that um, the organizations are, are sometimes disparate about who's who is overseeing cyber and whose responsibility it is. 
and uh, that's a constant challenge. A lot, a lot of organizations haven't quite figured it out yet. So there's there's a lot of discussion on um, convergence of IT and OT, and it's not just convergence of technology, but it's how do you converge these disparate organizational segments uh, so that it's very clear where the decision process is. And these different sides that have very different goals to what they're trying to do, you know, it's a uh, time versus confidentiality, data protection. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they, they can conflict. Right. Very much so. So you get, you gave me the perfect segue into my next question that I had, which is, so your company does attack simulation essentially. Why mm-hmm. is it so important to simulate attacks for companies? Just like any type of practice, simulation is a way to immerse people into a real live situation or scenario, and it creates muscle memory, it creates situational awareness, and it improves their ability to respond to something when it does happen. And it is no different than any sport. Cyber defense is a team sport. So whether you think about baseball or football or hockey or anything, you have to practice. And even a team that wins the Super Bowl, they don't stop practicing. They have to continue to practice and stay in shape. Cybersecurity is a little different because things change. There's new things that they have to practice on. So um, using simulation is a safe way. Not only is it safe because nothing is going to break, we're not attacking a, a company's actual network, we're attacking a replica of it, but it is also safe for the people who are defending because if they're going through a simulation, they're allowed to mess up and they should mess up because in addition to the technical skills that they have to hone, they, all have, they also have to be more confident. There are a lot of people who have, who have amazing skills who are in cyber defense, but they're afraid to use those skills if they're not 100% sure that what they're doing is the right thing to do. So by using simulation, they can test those skills and not only learn new technical skills, but that they can test skills and gain the confidence that's necessary for them to go back and be ready for when something does happen. Well, you don't want to make that first big mistake when there's actually a cyber attack and the stakes are that high. I mean, I think when right. we talked last time, you meant you you compared it to flight simulators and you don't mm-hmm. want your pilot to the, his his first experience in the air to be when you're sitting in the plane. Exact same analogy. Yes. And and as soon as the flight simulator was invented, did anyone not use a flight simulator? No. You can't not. And it, you're right. You 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 ha- even somebody understands the process until they do it, they're never going to know what it really is. And so as you've um, worked with your company, obviously, uh, (laughs) do you have any examples? Are you allowed to talk about any examples uh, in experiences you've seen with other companies? I mean, keeping them nameless, if you're able to um, just working with them and um, different simulation exercises have a lot and we have uh, continued it continues to uh, underscore the importance of it we've worked with uh, organizations in many different sectors both in critical infrastructure and other um, you know on data security side on OT security side 
Um, and the one thing that they all have in common is that they need practice and nobody's ever done, you know, it's like golf. Are you ever really done being coming good at golf? No. Um, same thing in cybersecurity and people, people recognize that and they really crave the ability to see things happen that they hear about, uh, but they don't really know, know what it looks like. Um, we've seen, uh, organizations who, um, now, you, you, you guys probably are customers of them, whether they're, you know, you might, uh, well, I won't, I won't give examples of industry because I might give it away, but um, organizations that uh, need help um, making people, help, help having people work together um, to hone those skills. We have one customer um, a few years ago, their IT and their OT people got together for their first simulation and they had never met. They had never met and it was very indicative of about how much room for improvement they had because they were really just starting a convergence process organizationally. So it was the first step to really stimulating that convergence and helping them realize how important it is because in the room that day, and I'll say the room, it was virtual, um, but you know we had probably about uh, 15 people uh, from the company that were going through a simulation and they were like, oh my gosh, we didn't even realize that there were conflicting, uh, conflicting goals. You know, we're talking about uptime versus um, data protection and it was very new to them, but it was necessary. So I, I will tell anyone who's listening, it's never too late to start. Um, it, and getting people immersed in an uncomfortable situation um, is very necessary because something bad will happen uh, and people have to be ready for it. Yeah, I think it's very easy to to have a cyber, to, to assume that in the event of an attack or an intrusion that, well, I can assume Debbie's going to do A and Tyler's going to do B and I'm going to do C. But when you're in the throes of the attack, sometimes it's a little chaotic and you don't know that you're supposed to do your the task that I thought you were going to do. Well, and, and on top of that also, Gary, if I'm supposed to do A, I might know that I'm supposed to do A, but I've actually never done A. I've only read about how to do A. So I think it's over here, but it's really over there. And then, right. you know, it all goes to, to crap at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Gary and I read a lot, actually, about not even necessarily, I mean, like, obviously, major corporations get hit, but also these mom and pop shops that are getting hit by cyber attacks. Um, I guess, what would your uh, piece of advice be for them? Because sometimes there's very limited budgeting. Um, what, what can they do as like a good starting point? Cyber hygiene is number one. It's, you know, no one's too big or too small to have good cyber hygiene. So the first thing would be um, changing passwords. Um, multi-factor authentication, things like that. You know, those aren't fail-safe. Um, however, every company should do them. They should be aware of uh, phishing emails, of uh, understanding uh, how the bad guys get in, um, seeing examples. So there are a lot of mom-and-pop shops. Um, there's a lot of moms and pops in the world, everyone's parents. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't know. How did I get hacked? Well, because you called the number and give them your social security number that they told you to. So 
um, you know, it's, it's awareness and understanding and that's easy. And that's, I, I don't know the statistics, you know, I want to say, I would love to say 80% of the, um, of the attacks can be solved that way. Um, but, but that's, that's really the best thing is initially is just hygiene. Uh, with your solution, when you're doing these simulations, how bespoke is the process? If you're going into Tyler Wall technology or Gary Cohen technology, how much do you need to understand about my systems in order to run an effective simulation like that? So it depends on the organization. Um, a lot of our Fortune 500 customers don't need much customization because we have all the tool sets that they all use. So any any tools that exist in a company's network um, from a cybersecurity perspective, whether it's their SIM, you know, if it's QRadar or Splunk um, or, you know, firewalls from Fortinet or uh, Palo Alto or Checkpoint or um, tools like Clarity, Nozomi, Dragos, or even things on the PLC and HMI side, um, all of those can be configured in our system. And so how whatever a customer has, we can configure that. And I wouldn't use the word customization on that. It really is configuration. And that's one of the values that CloudRange has developed is that we're able to configure uh, environments very quickly and easily for customers so that the relevant uh, elements of their infrastructure are represented there. It doesn't have to be a true digital twin for all of them. Some, in some cases, there are there are use cases for that. Um, but remember, we're not testing and simulating a, a network to see if we can attack it. We are simulating a network and making it intentionally vulnerable and attacking it so that the defenders have something to defend against. So it's different than um, red teaming where you want a replica of, an, of a network so to see where the vulnerabilities are. We make vulnerabilities so that the defenders have something to defend against. And so that's a very important, that, that's why when I talk about the last line of defense, it's not the users who are clicking on an email or it's not the infrastructure uh, to see if there's vulnerabilities and gaps in the infrastructure. It is truly the, the people who are having to detect and respond to events. Makes sense. So we're talking about preparation. Uh, I know this isn't the, the crux of your business, but you guys do tabletop exercises as well. Can you walk me through, like, what do you see as the value of getting a company to do a tabletop exercise? So a traditional tabletop exercise is often an incident response exercise. And, what, and the key, word, key term there is incident response. Something already happened. So uh, let's just say... Um, there's, there's an attack and a uh, pipeline gets shut down um, intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, what do you I've do? heard of that happening so, before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you do? Um, and that, and traditionally this involves, you know, the leaders of a company coming together and saying, oh gosh, what do we tell the media? What are the legal implications? What do we have to tell our shareholders? What do we tell consumers? Um, what do we tell our employees? But then also the technical part is how do we actually remediate this and fix it um, to get production back as quickly as possible. Um, so that so that example is what a traditional tabletop exercise. Something already happened, and you have to decide how you're going to respond. Where we play, um, which I love this part of it, is we take an existing tabletop exercise. Think about the prequel to that before that actually happened, 
what happened? What happened on that network? Where was, where was there a threat uh, identified or missed? Um, how did that get through the system, whether it came through on the IT side, onto the OT side? Um, what was that flow? And what did the people in the SOC see or miss? How did they, uh, how did they assess that and investigate that if they did or did not? Um, and then how did it get to the point where it becomes uh, an actual incident to respond to? Um, so when we're talking about a tabletop exercise, we actually have a, a product called Tabletop 2.0 because it tells the whole story. It's not just something already happened. What happened before that to make to get to that on the technical side? What, what actually happened through the network and how were people um, responding to that? Um, those types of exercises, which we do with companies, we usually combine those with their existing tabletop. So if they're using, you know, if they have a company that they're working with on a tabletop exercise, we work with that company and we put together the whole story. So we talk about the scenario and then we, um, we create the prequel uh, on the range and so that we can in involve technical people and non-technical people. And it tells the whole story. It gets both sides to realize what this whole picture looks like. So it's not just people working in a silo. Tyler asked you earlier some examples of work you've done. If I can ask, what kind of feedback are you getting from companies who have gone through this process? Are they shocked at how unprepared they are? Are you finding ones that are like, hey, we were better than we thought? I mean, I know every company is a little bit different, but what kind of feedback have you guys been getting from companies? I have been pleasantly surprised by the lack of overconfidence of security <laughs> leaders. And that's a good thing, lack of overconfidence. <laughs> so um, you may think that security leaders will say, oh, we're good, you know, because they don't want to vocalize weakness or, or vulnerability there. But I've been very pleased with how real, realistic people are about the fact that they are only as good as their experience. And so we've, the, the response that we've gotten, and we, we work with companies all over the world, um, you know, in, in really every sector, both on the critical infrastructure side and, and also the, the um, of, you know, data security side. Um, but the, the thing that is in common of all of them, it makes their teams work better. And every minute, every, every time a team works better is improves their response detection and response time and eliminates uh, and, and reduces and mitigates the risk. Um, and it's about how communication, collaboration, uh, teamwork, creativeness, all of that that sits on top of the technical skills, that actually turns out to be a potential weakest link in the chain because people can have great technical skills. Kind of before when I was talking about somebody may have the skills, but they're afraid to use them. When they're working in a, a safe team environment, they, they get elevated, they get confident, and it shows. And that type of thing makes the job easier for security leaders because they didn't get into being a CISO to work on small group behavior and teamwork, right? So um, it makes their job easier. And that's, that part of it is really, that's not what we set out to do either. That was an unexpected, amazing consequence of what we've done. Um, obviously, the, uh, <clears throat> the the very measurable improvement in how teams are responding um, is, you know, that's 
that is the that is the key, but it makes their lives easier also. Well, you mentioned that lack of overconfidence, which is great to hear. Uh, and people are only as good as their experience, but things keep changing too. Threat actors stay ahead of the game and there's new, mm-hmm. you know, pipe dream was something totally new in this last yep. year. And so it's, uh, you're, you're generally going to be challenged as well. So that lack of overconfidence is probably a good thing to have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why we do simulations at least once a month with a team. Uh, they, they spend a few hours a month going through a simulation and it's a different one every time because there are always new, there's different TTPs and they have to practice on different things. And so it just gives them exposure to a lot more. One time hurts, um, but many times is really going to continue to get them in shape. One last question here before we send you off. Uh, What kind of trends are you seeing right now in the cybersecurity industry, whether that be emerging or current, what are you seeing out there? Just over the last few years, it's become very apparent that organizations acknowledge that they have to grow their own people. They can't find a purple unicorn out there. They have open seats and they can either poach them from another company and pay them more money, which does not solve the problem. It just perpetuates it and it's more costly, or they can figure out how to, uh, or, or determine that they need to grow their own people. Um, we are so excited about being able to provide the resources to do that because it's not just taking people who already have experience, but we have customers that are green. Uh, they're hiring people who are green that have will over skill potentially, and they have to give them those skills. And so they're acknowledging that um, they're not trying to fight it anymore, saying, I just can't find the people. Um, their seats are staying empty for less time because they are, they're putting learning plans in place. Um, and then the other thing that's related to this is that um, security leaders also didn't sign up to be learning and development uh, planners, um, but they're having to do that because in many organizations, HR doesn't know how to go about this either. So um, the you know people under the CISO have to, including the CISO, have to say, Here, here's what we need. Um, here are the learning plans. Here's what the competencies people need. And then we're able to uh, put them on that path on an ongoing basis. So um, it's very uh, prevalent now. Um, I talked to a lot of CIOs and CISOs around the world, and um, they all acknowledge that they're not going to find the purple unicorn and that they have to grow their own talent. It's a really and it interesting. Also includes oh, exactly. bringing Go ahead. people, sorry, bringing people from other parts of the organization. Um, it may, you know, not even necessarily from IT. Somebody in marketing may say, "Hey, I want to get into cybersecurity," and they may have the aptitude to be really good at it. And so, people, companies want to keep people internally, even if they come from a totally unrelated department. I think it's a really interesting comment. Well, there's somebody that we talk to pretty regularly who's uh, who's an ex-Marine, and he was talking about Mar Force Cyber, the Marine Cyber, and he's like these are not people who are coming out of Master's Cybersecurity programs. They're 18 year olds who enlisted for the Marines, and they're getting trained up, and they end up being really effective at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They find people with an aptitude who want to learn, and they train them up, and these people end up being really effective. So, but he was making that same comment about. Stop looking for the unicorn and train your people. Yep, yep. And they have to have the resources. The part that that has been missing um, is that they don't. They know that they have to train them. They don't know how to train them. So we've been able to to provide all the different facets of assessing people's competencies and aptitudes, giving them the right training, and being able to measure that 
and keep them employed with the same company, you know, even through different jobs. Makes perfect sense. Debbie, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on here. Thank you so much for your insight and talking to us about your career in CloudRange. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. That was Debbie Gordon, the founder and CEO of CloudRange. Another very interesting conversation. I like that she's kind of attacking this problem from a little bit of a different angle than a lot of the people we talked to. So I thought she was an interesting guest. Um, one of the things she said when we were talking at S4, and I mentioned it at the end of the podcast there, the interview there, was uh, you know, when she was explaining what her company does, she compared it to flight simulation, to flight training. Like I was getting on a plane later that day. And she said, you know, you you don't want to get in a plane and have this be the first time the pilot has ever taken a, a plane up in the air, has ever had any flight simulation. They've read all the books. They know how to do it all, but they've never done it before in a real life situation. And I, I mean, I think that's kind of what she's suggesting that people do, whether you do that through cloud range or not, whether that's Red team, blue team exercises, whether that's tabletop exercises, whether that is actually full-on cybersecurity simulation training like she offers, is you have to, you can't assume, as we talked about in the podcast, that like, well, if this happens, Tyler's got it, because Tyler may not know he's got it. We may we may never have spoken about this before. And, uh, and when, um, you know, a cyber attack happens, it's going to be chaotic. And you need to have everybody needs to know what their role is, not only in mitigating the attack and stopping the attack from deepening and finding its way into the, your systems or burrowing its way further into your systems, but also who do you call? Who are your third party providers using Siemens and Rockwell products? You got to get on the phone with those people. You've got to have a whole game plan mapped out. And so doing this kind of training will really help your team because it's not just going to affect the IT department or your cybersecurity professionals or your CISOs. If there is a cyber attack on your company, it is likely going to affect a wide swath of your company. Definitely. I liked what she was saying too about uh, how like some of the different companies she'd worked with, uh, they are humble in their cybersecurity uh, oh, journey, I guess. Uh, so, cause I mean, that can be a concern, especially with, um, for example, if you're a some sort of solutions provider, not that this is necessarily a solution, but um, like working with other big companies about cybersecurity practices, if they have like a big ego about it, like, oh, we don't need this. We don't need that. It's nice to hear that um, companies are staying humble about their cybersecurity because that's the only way you're going to be able to learn and protect and things of that nature. So it is. I'm glad to see that people in the industry recognize that cybersecurity is something that needs to be at the forefront as we go forward into uh, further digital transformation and industry 4.0, soon to be 5.0 down the road and things of that like that. So a very, very nice note for that to end on with our, our conversation for sure. Well, I can tell you in every industry, whether that is, you know, somebody who's my son's baseball coach or a plumber who comes to fix something or uh, somebody in cybersecurity, anyone who says they have all the answers and all the solutions immediately makes me nervous. I want somebody who is intellectually humble and is like, yeah, it's because it's man, it's moving fast. Like threat actors are moving fast. Again, we talked about it in the interview is especially with some of these AI tools that are coming online, you're going to see new and novel attack vectors. And uh, if, if you've got a situation where your organization is like, 
we're fine. We got it. Uh, you probably don't got it. So, um, yeah, that that idea of of staying humble and intellectually humble and not assuming you know everything or you're perfectly ready for an attack, probably a good place to be. Uh, I think that's about all we have for you today. It's been uh, it's been fun as always. Uh, if you guys want to reach us, and you should, we're wonderfully charismatic and people that you want to talk to. Mm. Uh, you can always reach out to us either on Twitter. That's at at ICS underscore pulse. Or you can reach out to us at our emails. Uh, my email is gcohen, G-C-O-H-E-N, at cfemedia.com. And I am twall, T-W-A-L-L, at cfemedia.com. <laughs> it's, uh, and we'll be back here in a couple of weeks. Oh, excuse me. I, maybe I need another sip of my lovely Coca-Cola here. Mm. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another one with another great guest. Uh, hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Again, reach out to us if you if you need anything. And don't forget to stop by our website, icspulse.com, or if you like typing, industrialcybersecuritypulse.com for more great articles on all the kind of stuff we talk about here. We're readiness, threats and vulnerabilities, ITOT convergence, IIoT and cloud, all kinds of great stuff on there. So we've got the podcast, videos, articles, everything you need. Mm, everything you can want and more. Thanks for joining us today, guys. We'll see you next. Well, hold on. We had a whole thing. I'm not going to stop here after the last podcast. Tyler and I both habitually say we'll see you next time, which is mm. just a lie. This is an audio medium. We're not seeing anybody. You're not seeing us. No. I don't. But I don't know what it should be. You'll hear us next time. Catch us next time. <laughs> Catch us next time on the <laughs> Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse podcast. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And hey, stay safe out there.